Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. The title of tonight's message is Enemies of the Jews. Nice, peaceful message. Enemies of the Jews. Esther is one of, besides the Talmud, is one of the most read books by the Jewish people. And one of the reasons it's, it's one of the most read books is because of what happened during this time. Throughout history, the devil has tried to um, wipe out the Jewish people. And he is still trying to do that. It's not a coincidence that surrounding Israel today are all enemy nations that are trying to push Israel out into the Mediterranean Sea. So what's the big deal with being an enemy of the Jew? Well, if you're an enemy of the Jew, you're an enemy of the Jewish God. And that Jewish God is the one we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was a Jew. And the reason I think the Lord led me to give this title is because within the Christian community today, people are coming against the Jews once again within our within the Christian church. This is very dangerous. You hear it called replacement theology, where the Christian church feels they are now the chosen people. They took the place of the Israelites, the Jewish people. So when we dive in here, uh, we're going to finish Esther tonight, Lord willing. And... The previous eight chapters, for those people who are um, hearing this for the first time, I'll try to make reference as to what the whole book was about as we go through verse by verse, starting with chapter 9, verse 1. Now, in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all the people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. Okay, going back, the twelfth month of Adar. That is our time of March or April. In the Jewish calendar, it's called Adar, and it was the 13th of Adar, and this was in 473 B.C., now, what is going on, for those of you who haven't been with us, is that there, are, there was a decree by this guy named Haman. Mean guy, terrible guy, but he was second in command to the king. He hated the Jews. He, he was a descendant of the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites go all the way back to the beginning of the scriptures. King Saul of Saul and David, King Saul was told to wipe out all the Amalekites and not to take any of their plunder. 
to take none of their possessions. He disobeyed God. He took their possessions. He even allowed the king to remain alive. So he disobeyed God. And God removed him from his kingship, and that's where David became the king of Israel. Well, Haman was a descendant from the Amalekites, who were supposed to be wiped out. We wouldn't know if we wouldn't know of Haman if King Saul had done his job and listened to the Lord. How many things do you and I have to live through because we didn't listen to the voice of the Lord? Because we weren't obedient to God's word. And that we've had to go through the trials and tribulations of the consequences of our choice that God was trying to help us advert by listening to his word. Now, there were two decrees that were issued. The first decree was the decree of Haman, if you remember. And that was that on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews would be executed. Haman deceived the king. He set it up. So it made it sound like this group of people, he didn't even name him, that this group of people was trying to subvert him and overthrow his kingdom. So this guy who was his right-hand man, Haman, he trusted. And he said, well, let's wipe them out. Now, the number of Jews that were going to be killed were between 50 and 80 million. If you remember, it was 127 provinces from uh, India to Ethiopia. It was huge, the amount of land that this king controlled. So the first decree was the killing of all the Jewish people, men, women, and children. Okay, now, for those of you who haven't been with us, the king was married to this, his wife, Vashti. Now, Vashti didn't obey the king when he wanted her to do something. So he got rid of her. And he had all the virgins in the, the provinces come to his kingdom. And they, had, they went through beauty treatments for a year. And then they were presented to the king. And the one that he liked was the one he was going to choose for his wife. The thing was, he would sleep with these different virgins, and if he didn't like them, they would just become part of his concubine. So he had a whole concubine. But Esther caught his heart. Esther was a Jew. The king did not know this. So she is a Jew who is now the wife of the king. Esther's parents had been killed. So she was raised by her uncle, Mordecai. Mordecai worked for the king. He helped make decisions at the, in the council, which was held at the gate of the city. What has taken place has been some assassination attempts on the king. Mordecai alerted Esther. Esther alerted her husband. These guys were killed that were trying to kill him. But Mordecai was never given any kind of reward. The king just sort of just went on with business. But one night, he was sleeping. And he woke up and couldn't get back to sleep. So he wanted to have his journals brought to him, and he started reading the journals. And in the journals was this assassination attempt. And the name of the man, Mordecai, who helped prevent it. So what he did the next day, he wanted to reward Mordecai. And guess who was there when he asked the question, what should we do to a man that really honors the king. What should we do to a man that would risk his life for the king? Haman was there, the bad guy. So Haman, thinking that the king is talking about himself, 
said, oh man, have him paraded through the street. Have the, your uh, royal robe on him. Give him the king's horse. Let everybody bow down as he goes through the street. The king goes, Haman, that's a great idea. I want you to be the one who leads Mordecai through the streets of the kingdom. Now remember, Mordecai, Haman hated him because Mordecai would not bow down to Haman. He knew the history where Haman was a descendant of. He was an enemy of the Jewish people, so Mordecai would not compromise. How about you and I? Do we compromise the things of God for the things of the world? Do we bow down to things or people when we should be just keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? So as we continue this, the first edict was a wipeout of the Jews. Now, here's the cool thing. In the scriptures, everything that God puts in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is something that did take place, is taking place, or will take place. It doesn't matter if it's from the Old or the New Testament. So everything that God puts in the scriptures is something that is there for you and me. It's not only something that took place back in the days of Esther. There are things in the scripture that God wants you to apply to your lives today. So what is that? Hopefully that'll be revealed to you through his word as we continue. So the first decree is a wipeout of the Jews. Well, we talked about last time that you're under the first decree too. I don't know if you know that. Total wipeout, total annihilation because of the decree of the king. And what is that decree? Well, that is the law, the Ten Commandments we know. There were over 600 laws that the Jews had to follow. We know them condensed into the Ten Commandments. So the first edict, the first decree is this. If you don't keep all the Ten Commandments, you're dead meat. You're going to hell. It's over. So, I am looking at a lot of people right now, myself included, who were on their way to hell until Jesus came with a second edict. Just like there's a second decree in this story. The second edict here is this. Mordecai and Esther showed the king, the deception of Haman. Haman built a gallows for Mordecai to be hung on, but the tables were turned. Haman ends up on the gallows, not Mordecai, because the plot was revealed to the king by Esther, who stepped up. Some of you might know that saying in the scriptures, for such a time as this. Well, it comes from Esther. And we taught before about this. You and I are on this planet for such a time as this. You are an Esther. I am an Esther. God wants to use us. Esther was of no renown. She was a peasant girl who was elevated up to uh, the kingdom being married to the king. Well, guess what? You and I, when we become born-again believers, guess who we're married to? The king. We're his bride. We're the bride of Christ. And just like Esther stepped up, we need to step up to those things that God calls us to do. Sometimes it's collectively as a church. Other times it's one-on-one. It might be with a family member. It might be with a colleague at work. It might be with a stranger who gets a flat tire. Or helps you with a flat tire. Who knows? Only God knows. So the second edict is this. The king said in the last couple chapters, I cannot turn over the first decree I put out there. I can't revoke the first decree. God can't revoke the Ten Commandments. He can't take away the law. The law is a good thing. 
It's God's perfect standards for us to follow. But as we all know, we cannot follow them. We're doomed. If we break one of the commandments, it's like breaking them all. The second decree is the decree of life. And here's what the king said to Mordecai and to Esther. That on that day of Adar, the 13th of Adar, you can defend yourself. You can defend yourself against the enemies of the Jewish people. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit tonight, that defense. But you and I are under the law of grace now. We're not under the law of sin and death. We're not under the first decree. We're under the second one, the law of grace, which sets us free from the law of sin and death. So we see in those first five verses, the Jews gathered together in verse 2. And they were going to lay, um, throughout the provinces of the king, they were going to lay their hands on those who sought their harm. And here's something, no one could withstand them for fear of the Jews. Why was there a fear of the Jews? Why? Why all of a sudden? Well, because they had the king behind them. They had the king backing them up. The words that were out there in the kingdom that were sent to all the provinces has the king's authority behind it. Guess whose authority you have behind every word in this book? The king. In verse 3, all, this went to all the officials, all the political leaders. Notice the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Now, this guy who was unknown is being elevated to a position in the kingdom. And the fear of the community, the fear of the nation, because Mordecai was now the right-hand man or was going to be the right-hand man of the king. Verse 5, the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. But remember, it wasn't a genocide like Haman was planning. It was self-defense. Big difference, right, between genocide and self-defense. Okay, let's take a look at verses 6 through 12. And in Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. All right, now what I'm going to do, take a look at verses 7 and 9 on your own for a second. And when Purim comes, what the uh, Jewish people do sometimes at the Feast of Purim, they say all the names in verses 7 through 9 without taking a breath. And the reason they do that is because all the sons that we're going to read right now of Haman, Haman's the bad guy, were all killed at the same time. Okay? So follow me through verses 7 through 9, and we'll see how my lung capacity is. Okay, verse number 7. Also, Parshandatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Aldia, Agritatha, Permatha, Erisai, Eridai, and Vasatha. The ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan, the citadel was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the citadel, and the ten sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. Okay, so we see in these six chapters that the ten sons of Haman were killed. And the king is saying, wow, 
This happened right here. What's happened in all the provinces? What's taken place by the Jewish people who can now defend themselves instead of being wiped out? 500 people, 500 men, it says, were killed in Shushan. <clears throat> now, what about the sons of Haman? Haman, throughout Scripture, there are types of Christ. There are types of the enemy, Satan. In this story, Haman is a type of the Antichrist. And his sons are part of that Antichrist spirit. Now, the gallows that we're talking about aren't the um, gallows where you think about a henchman and a rope. It was more a tree stake that the victim was impaled on. So the person would be impaled on it and just be hanging there on the stake that went right through them. It was a type of a cross. Think about this now. The hostility and hatred of Haman toward the Jews, he built that gallows for the Jews. But it became a place of the enemy's defeat. Do you see a type of the cross there? Satan thought he had Jesus on Mount Calvary. He thought he had him defeated when he saw him nailed to the cross. When he saw the crown of thorns and the beating and the spear put in his side, he thought he had him beat at the cross. But just like in this story, the cross beat Satan. The tides were turned. When it's the worst case scenario in your life, doesn't matter what it is, it can be your health can be finances, can be a situation at work, whatever it is, or in your family. Understand that the God who controls the universe is living inside of you. And as Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good to those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. Didn't say some things or half the things or only financial things. It said all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We're going to keep reading, but notice at the end of verse, at, uh, verse 10, it says, they did not lay their hands on the plunder. And we're going to see that a couple more times. And I want you to remember that, the plunder, okay? because that'll come back and we'll explain that a little more. Do you ever think that praying to the Lord or asking him something is too much? Do you ever feel that you can burden the Lord by just talking to him and laying your burdens on him? It shouldn't be. That should never be a case because we can have inexhaustible requests to our king. You and I can get exhausted when people are asking us things, right? Helping us or helping them. But our king, there's no request too little. There's no request too great. And there's no number that would ever exhaust God and have him just say, I don't want to listen to you anymore. Let's take a look at verses 13 to 15. Then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan, to do again tomorrow according to today's decree and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shushan and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. There's a second time that we hear they didn't lay hand on the plunder. There's the second time that we're only seeing that the men were killed. We're not seeing women killed. We're not seeing children killed. It's being directed to the men. Also, the Jews who were in the city, 
Okay, if you notice, we had the 13th day of Adar, but it's now being carried over into the 14th day. There's a two-day period here where they're defending themselves in the city itself. On the outskirts of the city that is hundreds and thousands of miles, it was only one day that they had to defend themselves. And again, in verse 15, they did not lay a hand on the plunder. So in the city, they had to have another day of aggressive protection. They had to defend themselves another day. And on that day, more men were killed and the sons of Haman were hung. Now, Charles Spurgeon said, now it was God's intent that at last conflict should take place between Israel and the Amalekites. The conflict which began with Joshua in the desert was to be finished by Mordecai in the king's palace. Remember, the Amalekites were the enemy of the Jews. But for you and I, the Amalekites are a type of the flesh, the type of the world. What part of the Amalekites are still in our life? We talked about closets last time. What closets aren't you allowing Jesus into? What is in your life that that's one closet you don't want the Lord to open? And the Lord is saying to us, open up all your closets, open out all your house. I want to clean you from the inside out. I want you to become more and more like me because you are my bride and one day, you will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb with me. God is preparing his bride to take us out of here one day. Each of us are part of that miracle, of that supernatural day. So on that extra day, 300 men were killed and there was no plunder taken. The pastors and I were talking today, if you look at this closely, there was a killing of the ten sons. And then the next day, they were hung. Why would that take place? Why would Esther want them, day after they were killed, to be hung on the gallows? Well, I think it was an advertisement. An advertisement to the severity of what was going to happen. A mass genocide of 50 to 80 million Jews by an evil man's heart that was passed down to his sons. But to take no plunder to just protect yourself. And I believe we're going to see that taking no plunder one more time. Verse 16. The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, had rest from their enemies, and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. So through the rest of the provinces, 75,000 people were killed who were attacking the Jews, and they defended themselves and killed the enemies. But no plunder was taken. Verse 17 this was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Verse 18. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th. And on the 15th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and and gladness. So remember, in the city, it took two days. Outside the city, it took one day of uh, defense. In the city, it took two days. In both areas, in the city and in the provinces, notice what happened when the enemy was defeated. There was a time of feasting and gladness. Why? They weren't going to be annihilated. They weren't going to be wiped out. There wasn't going to be a mass genocide. There was going to be life. At the cross, at the cross, Jesus prevented 
a mass genocide at the cross. He defeated the enemy who wanted to wipe out the whole human race. And we can never hear this enough. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That should be something that we have gladness about. That should be something we rejoice in all the time. No matter what comes our way, the bottom line is this. We are saved by the king, and one day we'll be in the court with the king. That's something that we have forward, something to look forward to. So when things are pulling you down and you're getting distracted on this planet, we're here temporarily, think of what's coming, because that's reality. This is vapor. We're just passing through here. Verse 19, therefore the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled town celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and, fast, uh, and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. They were rejoicing. They were taking care of each other. They were blessing each other and rejoicing because what was going on. Verses 20 to 23, and Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun, as Mordecai had written to them. The book of Esther, a lot of scholars believe that it was written by Mordecai, that he wrote down this book that we have today. What is going on is something that's going on in our lives today. And I'm looking at what's going on with the wiping out of history. Wiping out of the remembrances of things. We see here in this story that Mordecai and Esther wanted the people to celebrate yearly the memory of what was taking place here in the kingdom. That they were going to be annihilated, but now they were going to live. And I'm going to address that a little more as we continue here in verses 24 to 28. Because Haman, the son of Amatdatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast purr that is, the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when, Esther's, when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim after the name Pur. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province and every city that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. And guess what? It hasn't. They celebrate Purim every year. 
during the same time to remember what took place. You know, I think of we celebrate Thanksgiving, we celebrate our birthdays, we celebrate Christmas and Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. We celebrate the times in our, in our lives that mean something to us. Let's not look at the things that are happening directly in our society the last week with the taking down of all the statues. Think of where that's going. Where does that stop? Is the cross an offense? So do they take down crosses from all buildings so it wouldn't be offenseful to people? I heard they're going to take down the statue of Columbus in New York City. The one that God used to find this land. Where does it stop? Watch what's going on through the scriptures. What, read your newspaper looking at it through the scriptures. What, who's in control? There's a lot of anti-Semitism in our country today, throughout the world. It's rearing its ugly head again. There was just something over in Switzerland a couple weeks ago where they were saying in a hotel, a resort area, that if you were Jewish, you had to bathe before you went into the pool. This is just a week or two ago. Think of, and this is where we talk about the title, The Enemies of the Jews. If God is reneging on his covenant with the Jews, as some Christians believe that we are now the new Israel, that we are now the chosen people, the Christian church. If God has just turned his back on the Jewish people, what's to say he can't do that to his covenant with you and I? But God has an everlasting covenant. He's a God of his word. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will fulfill his covenant with the Jewish people just as he will fulfill his covenant with you and I. Remember the plunder? We read about the plunder a few times that they um, defended themselves. A lot of people were killed, but they did not take the plunder. As I was reading, I was saying, why is that? Why did that keep coming up? The plunder, the plunder, the plunder. Well, remember that this situation that's taking place right now in the book of Esther would not have taken place if King Saul did his job a long time ago with the Amalekites. Well, God told King Saul to wipe out all the Amalekites from the youngest to the oldest, to wipe out all the animals, all the animals, anything that belonged to the Amalekites to wipe them out, but he didn't. He took the plunder. He took the finest animals. And when he was questioned, he tried to wiggle out of it. And he said, well, I got those animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And the prophet said to him, God doesn't require sacrifice. He requires an obe obedience. God's not looking for you to sacrifice anything. He's given you and I an abundant life in him. He just wants us to obey him. How do we know what he says? You have the supernatural book right here. And I remember when I first became a Christian, the acronym for Bible, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. These are God's instructions before we leave this planet. How well do we know this, this book, his love letters to us? Verse 29. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. So they sent out a letter saying, remember it, do it every year. But how important was it to Mordecai and Esther? They sent a second letter. Just reinforcing, hey guys, don't forget to do this. 
That's how important it is. If we forget where we were and where we came from, our walk with the Lord will not be as strong. Remember where you came from and what the Lord delivered you from. You might not be pleased where you are in your walk with Christ today, but hey, think about it where you were a year ago, maybe two months ago, five years ago. And I can tell you in Christ's name, if the Lord tarries five years from now, you'll look back. And because he's the author and perfecter of your faith, you're going to see growth in your life as a result of you abiding in Christ. Verse 30, And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth. What division, what lies, what false news there is going on in our world today, not just the United States. You don't know what papers, right, or what internet to believe the news on it. It's all fake news. Well, we got good news right in our hands and in our laps right now. Here's the news we got to read, the good news. Because this will put everything in this world in a much better perspective. And it will give you the truth because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it will give you peace with God if you have a covenant with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And by abiding in Christ, you will have peace, the peace of God. He will give you peace in the midst of the trials and tribulations and craziness of this world. Verse 31, to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them, and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. For those of you who weren't with us way back at the beginning, when Esther was challenged by Mordecai to step up for such a time as this, that if you don't go to the king and let him know what's going on, God will raise someone else up to take your place. So Esther didn't know what to do because if she went to the king without him accepting her into his throne room, she could be killed. She could die, but she was willing to die to do the right thing. She was willing to stand on the principles of what Mordecai had shared with her about what was going to take place. Her name, Esther, means star. Means star. She was a shining star in a dark place. I'm looking at a lot of stars right now, male and female stars, that God has chosen and put you in a dark place to shine for him for such a time as this. Verse 32. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. Chapter 10, verse 1, And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land, and on the islands of the sea. Basically, he put a tax out there on his community. And a lot of people feel that Mordecai told him to do that. It was part of the council of Mordecai. Now, all the acts of his power and his might and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of the Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to the king and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking the good of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. Think about throughout some of the history of the scriptures. Here you have Mordecai, second in command, a Jew, second in command to a Gentile king. You had Joseph, second in command to an Egyptian, an Egyptian pharaoh. You had Daniel, a Jew, second in command to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't it interesting that God elevated his people to be in that position of influence? But look at the influence and look at the legacy that Mordecai and God shows us through Mordecai that I believe he wants for you and for me. And that is seeking the good of people 
and speaking peace to all the people that we can come in contact with. True peace comes through Jesus Christ. That's the only peace that goes beyond the grave. Speaking, seeking the good of people. How many people are out for their own good? Are just concerned about themselves and not concerned with those other people? Well, Christ set us a great example, didn't he? That we're to be servants of all. That we should be like him, our master. To have his servant's heart. If Esther didn't step up and Mordecai didn't step up, the Jewish race could have been wiped out. But think of this, that one of the Jews that would have been wiped out would have been Nehemiah. Nehemiah was back in Jerusalem. And remember how Nehemiah was used in the rebuilding of the temple. Chapter 10 deals with the exalting of Mordecai. He was pretty much the prime minister over the Persian Empire. When Esther's husband died, his son, also called Ahasuerus, became the next king. But Queen Esther had a great influence upon her stepson. That wasn't her son. It was her stepson. And it was this stepson who gave Nehemiah the permission to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem to restore the walls and all the things that took place then. He gave that important decree. How much of Esther's influence and Mordecai's influence was on this man? Because that was a decree to help the Jewish people. The stepson wasn't a Jew. That we know of. If he was, he was only half a Jew. 483 years after that date, the Messiah would come. 483 years later. Because of the influence that Mordecai and Esther had. What influence do you and I have on the people that we come in contact with? And we may never know on this side of heaven... The results. The enemy of the Jews, as I close. Ulysses S. Grant issued an order of expulsion against Jews from the portions of Tennessee, Kentucky, and Mississippi under his control. Grant later issued an order that no Jews are to be permitted to travel on the road southward. His aide, Colonel John Dubois, ordered all cotton speculators, Jews and all vagabonds, with no honest means of support to leave the district. The Israelites especially should be kept out. They are such an intolerable nuisance. Adolf Hitler banned the observance of the Purim holiday, and several times Nazis' attacks were planned to coincide with Purim. In January 1944, the dictator gave a speech declaring that if the Nazis were defeated, Jews could celebrate a second Purim. Well, just about a year later, Hitler committed suicide and the Nazi regime came to an end. There was a Nazi, Julius Streicher, commented before entering the gallows after the Nuremberg trials in 1946. He, he yelled out, this is Purim Fest 1946. Joseph Stalin either suffered a stroke or was poisoned on Purim 1953. Before he died, he had laid plans to murder off the Jews in Russia. And finally, the story is told of Hitler giving one of his fiery speeches in the large hall in Munich early in his rise to power. In this oration, he called for the destruction of the Jewish people. In the front row sat a man who on occasion would make faces and laugh at Adolf Hitler. After the meeting, Hitler inquired as to who this man was and why he was laughing. The man said, Hitler, don't you know that every time that someone has tried to kill the Jews, there's a feast day 
named Hitler looked at this man and couldn't believe that this Jewish person would have the nerve to say this. Hitler said to him, or the man said to Hitler, you should be aware that you are not the first anti-Semite who sought to destroy us. You may recall that the great Pharaoh of Egypt sought to enslave the Jews. To commemorate his defeat and our redemption, we observe Passover. Haman was another enemy of ours who brought out his own downfall. We celebrate Purim. While listening to your venomous talk, I wonder what kind of feast would the Jews invent and what kind of holiday would be established to celebrate your downfall? Well, there isn't a feast day to celebrate Hitler's demise, but there is a remembrance of the six million Jews who were killed. And they remember that every year at the same time. And probably there is a Jew somewhere that could answer this man's question that when Hitler died, whatever day that was, was a good Jewish holiday. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray, pray that the Jews come to know Jesus as their Messiah. Because when we're out of here one day, they're going to be the ones who evangelize the rest of the known world. According to the scriptures. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.